1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, City of Champions. Ah, with the crack of the bat, we are off and running. It is Detroit City of Champions, the podcast. I'm Jamie Flanagan. Charles Avison. That dude wrote a trilogy of books all about one year. But that one year, geez, 33 different championships. Amazing, amazing stories, amazing people. Charles, thanks for sharing the stories with us. Love being here. We got Matt Fox in the studio, too. Oh, no, yeah. I'm just going to be, I'll be in the background making stupid comments. He's our little sidekick guy. <laughs> That's it, man. It's, uh, we're, in a, we're a sidekick heaven today. We just wrapped up taping uh, the Man Cave Happy Hour, and now we're off and running. Surprise! With uh, Detroit City of Champions. We're going we're gonna to have some fun. It's going to be a good time. Charles, uh, we're deep into the Red Wings. They had oh, we're amazing, real deep. We're amazing. Real deep. So the regular season was nuts. Regular right? season's over. Back and forth, brawling with the, the Blackhawks. Yes. And uh, it was just up and down, back and forth. It pre- the season pretty much had everything that you could expect out of a hockey season. Yeah. How many lead changes as far as first place goes happened? We have that in the, the chart. Last 10 I, games. It was, I mean, it, but just, just they only, the last 10 yeah, games. They, there was plenty. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a lot. Lots yeah. of them. Yeah. So, um, they're, no, they, 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 uh, they got down, like, at the beginning of the season, you know, they, at one point they moved into first place and then they only lost, they only lost for, they only dropped out of first place one time. Mm. Right. Uh, and that was fine. Following a, I think it was following the Blackhawks game on Christmas night. I think that was um, the first, like that was one of their big dips. But fair enough. Um, but after that, it was like they got real close to they got like you know tied with their or one game ahead of first, and yeah. like they were at one point they're like five or six games up, and then they're one game up, and oh, then they're a couple. The games beginning up, of the season like, was miserable. They were like yeah. way out. They were the hitless wonders yeah. uh, several episodes out, ago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then at the end of the season, that was actually their biggest danger because they they went through a huge you know it's like I think it was a six game winless streak. Right, right. And and then, the the only thing that saved them was that other teams were having ba- a bad run too. Exactly. The Blackhawks and, and the Bruins were also losing, and then so that they, they the, so the season basically went in towards that last game against the Blackhawks, which was I could call it the penultimate game of the season, the second to last game, and it, it was basically all on that line because um, if the Blackhawks would have won that game. Then, uh, then it would have created a basically a three or four way tie for first place. All the teams would have been locked up, and then and it, it, as a result, when the Red Wings beat the Blackhawks, yeah. they, they they clinched first place in the American Division, and then it left a three way tie with the other three teams for second place, which actually necessitated a uh, a quarterfinal in the hockey. Usually, there was only two rounds. You'd have you'd have two. Um, they'd been tinkering with the playoffs for years, but in this case, it created the need for a uh, you know in this in this time there's only two rounds of of the playoffs. There's a semifinals and a finals, but then this necessitated a, th- a third round to break this tie between <clears throat> these three mm-hmm. um, you know tie you know teams. Yeah. And so the Red Wings would have been in that group if they had not won against the Blackhawks and just literally clinched first place. So so Matt. Yeah. Um, the playoff hockey, yes, because um, we're you know we're living here in the 21st century, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been to Wings games. I don't. I I've been to one playoff game, um, and the energy that's coming in this game, Charles. Um, I, you know, is it, it sounds like it's because this is like it's. And again, you say what comes up in the record books is this is the longest game ever played. Yeah, right. And that's well, the title of the episode. Today, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Matt, do you ever go to like? Play? Have you been to playoff games? I've been to a a handful of regular season games mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. tickets were cheaper, 
<laughs> I was I was gonna say because I'm I haven't I've been to one and it was a gift because uh-huh. uh, I'm way too cheap because <laughs> they get expensive <laughs> around yeah, the playoffs. Yeah, they do. Charles, do you have you uh, do you mm. do many events? Your live events? Uh, what at the games? Yeah, do you not go really? Like, no, no. I like to go. To I used to, but not. I and I've never been to the Red Wings like playoff game. Right, right. right. But I am happy to say that I did go to a game and I set. I sat in Dan Cleary's seats mm. uh, for a Red Wings game at Joe Louis Arena. Mm-hmm. And then I did take my daughter to a game against the Las Vegas Knights mm-hmm. at uh, Little Caesars Arena. Oh, that's cool. So I've been, a- I've been able to experience both uh, venues so far. And-, and it's always fun, you know, the, yeah. the atmosphere right. around hockey in itself. But to sit there for how many hours did this game go yeah, on? Yeah. Well, we're getting we're gonna get we'll to get it, to it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. Game, so, but yeah, I, I just because yeah. I, I like going to at least one hours. one game of of every sport, you know, in in a season. Um, if if I miss one, it's usually the Pistons. Uh, yeah, I'm not I, a big basketball. I've fan. just never gotten in. I've just never really gotten into going to games in person. I've watched you know I've watched mil- I mean I don't even know I how just, many games. I, but I usually and I'll, I'll be the t- I used to be the type to watch every single game on TV. Right, right. right. But I and I used to just because, I just love the experience. Yeah, well, true. And I've been to I mean I've been to plenty of games, but it's not ever really something like in the last few years. I don't think I've even been to one game for any team. Okay, as, as somewhat. It's funny, and you wrote yeah. the book on 1935. Yeah. Well, as, the, the state. It's funny. I know. It's a different. It's a different it's yeah. a different beast altogether and I, and i'm not a connoisseur of sports i love i enjoy sports i enjoy watching sports but when i'm watching it live it's a very different experience you actually have to pay attention sure because things move so much more sure. faster when you're in person even even at hockey games football games things move so much yeah. faster so you're watching on tv great you got the slow-mo but you don't get that really when you're live i was really waiting for him to put a, like a blue laser on the puck <laughs> yeah and have it yeah. once wait a minute. they can do that wait they did that Back in the day, yeah, on the screen. I'm hey, why like, is that puck in, lane, that's in aisle six? It's I don't awful. get that. It's yeah. awful. Oh, my God. Yeah, what they, a wreck. The yeah, they tried to experiment those things. That was funny. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, but we're moving in. The, the yeah. season was just up and down, back yeah, and I mean, forth. Yeah, it's a crazy Battle season. Royale. Like, one of the things I was really trying to convey when we did this, you know, we spent so much time on the, yeah. the regular season was this idea of just like the, the like, I guess the, like the underlying thing I was trying to convey was. That basically every history book, if there is a mention of the Red Wings 1935 championship, which is rare, but if there is a mention, it's like they, you know, like they're like they were a great team. They won, they, you know, they they was swept, they you know ran through the, the season, and then they moved on to the playoffs, and then they went to the longest game ever. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was like the the regular season is usually just like Yawn. a sentence. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? They never. So I wanted it, my my goal was for to spend as much time was was to show how. All like all the events that led up to I mean like this is a franchise itself that had been up and down and names changed and, and you know the, and the in the gutter at the great you know the beginning of the Great Depression and you know like they're, you know they're they're newly named the Red Wings only a couple years prior right and that all these things are happening they're, they have this tremendous rivalries going at this moment I wanted to try to show. I, my, the overall goal with all of it is to try to bring these people to life. That's our entire mission. Yeah. That's our entire mission is, is to show to... that it's not just a simple sentence yes. and a word. There's a reason these people. This was the moment that Detroit fell in love with hockey. Right. More people should know about this, and yeah. that's that's our yeah. entire mission. Yeah. And but, uh, the, but this is but th- it was this very specific team yeah. in this very specific series of circumstances. This is what led Detroit to fall in love to with hockey. To be the hockey. trifecta. Yes, yeah. But this, and but, and but, fall in love with hockey. But yeah. fall in love with to hockey. To be hockey like, town. Like, that's what I'm saying. To, like, we as today, to, when we go to these There's a four-story monstrosity called <laughs> Hockey Town. 
No, you know, yeah. with a big <laughs> spinning puck on top. What I'm top saying of it, is that you know? you know we fell in love. You know, Detroiters are absolutely. You Which know, I we, love. We you know we're hockey Agreed. town. We're we're you know we're this you know the Red Wings are an institute. You know they're one of the most recognizable franchises in all of sports in mm-hmm. the in, in the freaking world in the world absolutely mm-hmm. and they're one of the most recognizable brands that there is but it but this was the year that it really all started and nobody and that's something like it never gets anywhere near the credit that it deserves yeah i like the the a recent trend in the last like probably three years four years has been uh like rap artists uh urban r&b rap mm-hmm. artists uh, sporting Red Wings gear. Oh, they've been wearing oh, yeah. re- rock and Red Wings gear for a long time. For a long time, time. but yeah. it's actually becoming a little more prolific uh, yeah. in, in just in the last couple of years. Um, well, the Red Wings logo is just so iconic. Right. I mean, it's right. Just it's, their, it is. Yeah. I mean, the Detroit, the D, I mean, like, you know, m has got too. the tattoo, sure, sure. you know, Kid Rock, and like sure. so many people have the, the Detroit English D for the, for the Tigers, and that's so synonymous with Detroit. Um, I, I just thought it was cool that... Yeah. Uh, you it's know, because, recognized very because it, it, hockey isn't always you know it, it, you know coming down from Canada and it, right. it's it's boring you know it's 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 it it isn't is it hasn't been as cross cultural mm-hmm. as other sports as um, the Red Wings uh, it, it's yeah. getting more and more like that it's becoming more and more cross cultural mm-hmm. and, and 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 you know it, it's getting away from the Russian five and there's there's more uh, people from the states playing I think right. and it's it's but it it's I, I think it's cool that the, the and and their sport and the Red Wings logo, I, yeah, I, just, I just love it. I but love this, it. the wing wheel, saying, man. Like, there's, you know, again, this is you know, this is where it all started, and it's and there's a reason why. You know, it's I not it. just some kind of random thing where it's like, well, we got a hockey team and it just kind of grew over the course of time. No, no, no. there was a spark <laughs> that drew these people there because now they're cheer- cheering for a team yep. that um, you know the Tigers had won. Joe Lewis had done his thing. The, um, and the, was still doing his thing. And was still doing yeah. it. And, and then the Lions had won. And so now the Red Wings represented the final championship necessary for Detroit to claim a larger title, the larger idea of the city of champions, and to do something that nobody had ever done. And now all of a sudden, that's what, like I say, that, that's what drew these fans to it, was the larger story, and that the Red Wings, it created a new storyline around this team. So then let me ask the question. Is this the first time in history in 1935 that one city... No, 1927, their- New York did it. Okay, New York did it. But so, they also had twice as many teams enter in the field of competition because they had two hockey teams, okay. like two or three football NFL teams, two, and I like was two or three baseball teams. They had yeah. three baseball teams. So Detroit, so was, more, yeah. so Detroit was next up on the yeah, list. So to, they're, they're, nobody's done it since 35. Right. But, but, no, but in the 27 they did it. But well, there was no. New York, yeah. New York may have had six in 27, but Detroit had, well, they had three. They had three. But in all total, how many? They had three championships. Detroit. No, there were, the there was did. also sharpshooters, and there was. The oh, you mean in Detroit in thirty five? Yeah, they had thirty three championships. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. New York didn't do no, that. I, no, no, no. I did a comparison in the second book. Yeah, they I, didn't have Garwood. They, no, you know, they that, didn't have Walter Hagen. They didn't have no, Joe Lewis. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, so the three majors that New the, York the, replicated, but so, nobody's ever done what Detroit did. In so 35. on the Absolutely on the plaque, because we talked on the City of Champions Day on Champions Day, we talked about the plaque, and on the plaque. They removed uh, Joe, the Joe Lewis, Lu- yeah, right? They moved the box Because at the moment they were making the plaque, Joe Lewis had gotten beat by Max Schmeling in the yeah. first Schmeling fight. Right, right. And Which they put a diver in, right? Exactly, they put, yeah. uh, So who was to that? To me, that's the only black mark from the entire City of Champions story was, was removing the, removal of the boxer from the plaque because 
Because, you know, in all fairness, though, Joe Lewis had not won his heavyweight championship up to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, there, you know, he was, you know, he was the greatest fighter alive, but he, but he had not won the championship. And so, you know, when they're doing, was it a mistake? To, was it a mistake to uh, put him on there in the first place? Not at all. It was, oh, but the because thing, he was on such a rise. They oh, should have he, recognized he was the him. most famous person in the world. He was an international superstar. Okay. I mean, I've got a, in the second book, I got a, a French magazine where he's on the cover. It's like this is Joe Lewis. It's all in French. And like Joe Lewis, the most recognizable athlete in the world, mm-hmm. and so you know when Schmeling beat him, though it was a major. It, it knocked the wind out of everybody's sails regarding right, right. Joe Lewis. It was a major, like so. It was kind of like will you know will and can he rebound? He's from the, yeah, he's right. like he's the uncrowned champion, but now he's now he's got to you know leapfrog a couple guys just to have a chance at the heavyweight champion. Sure. So like. And, and so at that exact moment, the plaque was Screw being it. built. Right, right. Also, so who is this diver that they, they put in? Uh, his in name re- is Dick, uh, Dick Degener, D-E-G-E-N-E-R. All yeah. right. Was this uh, what type of competition? Was it an Olympic well, competition? Detroit or had it, swimmers uh, and divers and all this stuff. Okay. So it was like the divers. world's competitions or whatever yeah, they had, they had they had the world's uh, nas- they had national championships in uh, the swim team, and they had a national championship. So, Dick Degener was the greatest diver who ever lived. So all right, so, right, time, so we'll do point, we'll do an episode on Dick. Oh hell sure. yeah, we maybe will. he's even one of major star in nineteen thirty. Couple, maybe more than one. Right? Did he ever jump a horse off of a thing? No, I'm I don't kid, think I'm that. kidding. No, no, I'm I don't kidding. Think that, yeah. Well, I'm not kidding, but I mean that was like one of those Whoa. sideshow things. You would have a horse diving off a high dive. Horses, of course. Some, of the, some of the best, some of the best pictures I have are of him jumping off diving boards and stuff. He's got, I got some great shots. So it, was that a good call to put him on? It, would take, it was a bad call taking Joe off. All in right, retro- bad, in bad the call taking Joe off. If you're gonna take Joe off at and put the moment, on. they had at the moment they made the decision. You know, I'm yeah, saying, yeah. but that's the one. That's so, is the there one. something else that's like, oh, dude, they should have put in Doug Garwood on, or they should have? It doesn't take away from what Joe did in 1935. No, no, I'm, I'm, away, I'm not yeah. saying, but in, in, you take Joe out of the equation. All right, we need we need an, we need another one. We got the the, the four. We got three. We got uh, baseball, football. Well, they're ma- they're doing the engraving, so they that maybe so, that was the easiest thing to convert it to. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, cut, yeah, They yeah. already cut Fair out a play. boxer, and so maybe that was the easiest thing to convert a boxer into. Okay, know? all right. No, I was just curious. Yeah, if, if, I don't if know. You, yeah. If you, if you, in your opinion, you're like, oh no, they should have recognized Gar Wood, or they should have, you know. Well, yeah, like I say, there, you know, it, it was it was just one of those things. They recognized Joe Lewis at the City of Champions banquet. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, all yeah. those things. So it's just yeah. it was the it's the interesting. It's the fact that it, we're looking at it from eighty years later sure. and saying we wish that he, you know, that he, they would have kept it. You right. know, what I mean? but at the time he, th- t- I mean, he wasn't the champion, so they're not. And that's one of the biggest one of the biggest you know sort of uh, you know like mistaken things is that Joe Lewis was champion in nineteen thirty five and he wasn't. But I spec I say not I spec I say I make a case in the book in the second book that what Joe Lewis did in nineteen thirty five. I'd say this was the greatest, in, just regardless of the fact that he won a championship or not. What he did in 1935 was the greatest individual season in the history of American sport. Hmm. And I make a case for that's literally the entire arc of, my, of the Joe Lewis section of my second book was making a case for why Joe Lewis in 1935 was the greatest individual season in the history of American sport. Okay. And, it, and so when added to that, if my case is proved correct, if my, you know, if my logic is proved to be, you know, like if you know, if you accept that line of thought without even reading it, but um, but if, if that is proven to be correct, then factor in the fact, factor in this idea that we have the greatest individual season in the history of American sport right. coming in the midst of what I say is the greatest overall season in the history yeah. of American sport, and so that puts that in a realm that will never be beat. Hmm. Like so, it's not only the greatest season that ever has happened, but potentially the greatest season that ever will happen. So right. that's that's sort of where we're at. But we're getting off the topic a little bit. I want to get back. No, to, no, all right, yeah. So, so the wings and and the success they had in in the season leads to this playoff, which is yeah, gonna, play, which is going to so, take up how so, long? How typ- How long typically, Matt? Jesus. All right, play with that, Matt. 
I'm going to flip Please, to the yeah, other camera. So, um, so how long typically, typically were the playoffs? In so, this type, the, so type back, of so in this day and age, they, they, they were like I said, they were changing the playoff structures um, a little bit. They were tweaking it every year, but at this moment in time, there was a, this was a very unique style of playoffs. Okay, so the way that they the way that they did it was you had two rounds. Okay, two rounds, and they were it was best of five, best of five, uh, semifinal and a best of five championship final. However. As I mentioned, in this particular year, the three teams in the American division all tied for second place. Oh, so it necessitated. So yeah. So who do they? Play? So it necessitated a a playoff. They brought in a team from the from the Canadian division that was you know at the top of the chart, and and so um they had a, so what they did was they had four teams in a quarterfinal. So there's a three round playoffs in this case, mm-hmm. but the, the the but the third round only revolved around those three teams that had to try to break this deadlock. All right, and so, anyways, so uh, were, the those were, involved, were the wings involved in that? Or no, did they get a but buy this is, and they had a. But this is what's. But this is what's interesting, and it's almost so. What's What's different about that playoff sim? What's really different, besides just the number of games, was the idea that the Red Wings were going to play the Montreal Maroons. Okay, and the Montreal Maroons were one of the greatest hockey teams ever. Like ever assembled right right and the, so they won the canadian division of their so it was so that's what's different is in today's structure the way it works is like the strongest team would play the weakest team yeah in this case it was the two best teams in hockey playing each other first <laughs> right so pretty much the finals so that happened exactly. first there you, you go these, the the bron- you're playing the bronze yes. medal team and even in their afterwards. day even in their day there was criticize- criticism of it because they even said why does this make sense it doesn't they were even saying the same thing there was criticism of it at this time saying and they were saying that the problem is that the two best teams in hockey get to batter themselves yeah. you know batter themselves to death and then, like you know, the, the whatever you know, second or second or third best teams yeah. slip into the Stanley Cup championship and have a team to knock off, you know, have a chance to knock off the best of the team because you know they just got not you know beat to death by beating the the other best team. So it, it should have been you know like that. This is, I believe, they switched it up after this year, but that was a major downside and a major negative of this year. Was not a, not a negative of the year. But it, this was a major sort of issue was, you know, even in their day, they complained about the idea that the two best teams were going to play each other first, which made, basically makes no sense. Right. So, um, but anyways, regardless, that is what happened. And so, but what I wanted to, we were talking about last week and I would talk about it right now, is that I wanted to introduce the Montreal Maroons to kind of give a little bit of an idea of just what the Red Wings were facing in the Let first round. Let me know round. you need which of these graphics. Okay, yeah, so... Um, so just a, just a sort of an overall. Everybody, when you hear Montreal Maroons, people today like are like, "Who's that?" Nobody what a heard maroon! Of them. That's yeah. all. I, all I remember is Bug yeah. Bunny. What, yeah, a so, what a maroon! So the Montreal Maroons, like to this, yeah. So to this day, like people, um, you know, like you know, hear the Montreal Canadiens. That's the that's the NHL team that exists. Oh, today. Are, did they derive from? Did the Maroons turn into the Canadiens? No, oh, no, fair not play. at all. All right, sorry, sorry. Okay. So so the idea is that my, in my, inside Montreal. There's there's um there's an there's basically Montreal's a bilingual uh, city you oui. see yeah so so it's a bilingual <laughs> city yeah. that's all I got and so that's ex- that's but not only is it bilingual but there's also been sort of a sort of a divide you know I mean there's like a there's literally I mean they they all are bilingual but there's like sort of like a half of the city that's like French speaking and they're like diehard French like you know they're that are like they they've kept their French culture French heritage and they're like like I mean they're like determined to keep it that way. And then you've got the you've got an English you've got an English culture. I mean, it's a result of the of the you know of the of the English and the British 
taking over Canada. You know, they the French have maintained their 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 French culture, where again, whereas the the English and British have um, you know have you know done their thing too. So the so the rise so the creation of the Montreal Maroons was a result of wanting to give the English speaking community in Montreal their own team. Okay, so the so the French so the Canadians were the were a French team, and they wanted to give the the English speaking they call them Anglo uh, Anglophones or Anglophiles they they wanted to give the English speaking portion of Montreal Those their own the team yes, and so the name the name Maroon was never really an official name. They just play. They had maroon. Um, they had maroon jerseys uh, and tan pants. And here comes the maroons. Yeah. So so anyways, and so they fact, and so they 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 just basically they and they came around in 1924. Um, the, the, so uh, 1924-25 was their first season, and that when they came in, they didn't even have like I say, they didn't really have an official name, but they right. wore maroon colored jerseys, and people just called them the maroons. And so they just kind of adapted that into their name and started just you know that became their what they were called. So. Um, but but what's interesting? So the the Montreal Maroons, they're like they're if if I wasn't a Red Wing fan, this would be my favorite team. Okay, like still, I mean, like seriously to this day, um, they they are my second favorite team, and it's because of if you actually dive into their like like wh- who played on these teams, and just how cool they were. I mean, like that. It, it, I'm just there's like a there's like sort of a, like a historical like aura around this team, at least for me. Okay. And so in their second season with the Mont- in as the Maroons, their second season in the NHL, the, the Montreal Maroons win the Stanley Cup. In 1925-26, they they win the Stanley they win the Stanley Cup championship. All right, is that that one, the one we got? No, uh, no, just I'll So um so anyways, uh so they and so the, in that over the course of time, the Maroons are one of the most competitive teams in the entire NHL. And this is they're they're every single year they're in the top of the league or they're competing for a playoffs. They're in so just Canadians were? No, the Montreal Maroons. Maroons, okay. I'm sorry. So anyways, you got so over the course of their 14-year existence because they were one of the casualties of the Great Depression. In 1938 their season their um their you know they they played from 1924 to 1938. So over those 14 years, they made the playoffs in 11 of those years. They were in the playoffs. They were a in- incredibly That's competitive a and talented to... team. Absolutely, some of the best players that ever come through the NHL came through the doors of the Montreal Maroons. They, you know, they're one of these teams that you know, it, you know, eternally struggling with money, always having to sort of they they identify a talent. The guy would be awesome, become a legend, and then they would you know he would get sold to like get the shopped Boston, out somewhere else. Boston Bruins, it was like your damn farm team. team. Basically, yeah, they would yeah. they would they were a great team, and they would like they would lose their players because they couldn't afford to keep signing them. Uh, kind of what the Olympians were in 1935, almost right. What the Mont- the Olympics? The Olympics. Uh, yes. Well, well, no, they weren't. No, not at all. They weren't like that at all, actually, because they were no because they no they were an NHL team. They were the Olympics were an IHL. They were a, they were literally a minor league team. All right, but the NA, the, the the Montreal Maroons were a talented and competitive NHL team year after year after year after year. The problem is, is that they would couldn't maintain their best players. They would have to. They were forced to sell them off because the Boston Bruins or New York Americans or these American teams had more money than them. That so was, they would poach their best players. That was the them. A's in Moneyball. Yeah. So that's it's more. They're more. <laughs> if they're anything, like. they're fair. More, fair. If fair, anything, yeah. they're closer to the to the to the in baseball uh, is to the Tampa <laughs> Bay Rays. Uh. But they were far more competitive than the Rays consistently. Like I say, because when they would lose those guys. They would replace them, and right. then the team would be good again. They oh, would okay. they were missing a beat. That's the huh. difference. And so they were like I say, they were in in their era. They were a a incredibly highly respected team in a well you know like 
you didn't want, I mean, the Maroons were good year after year. Whereas the Red Wings, it, like, they kind of built this organization over the course of time. They mm-hmm. were good, like, every single year. They were, you always, you always were expected to have, you know, have a good game against the Maroons. And so, um, so anyway, so they played against, they, they played in the same uh, stadium as the Montreal Canadiens, which was the Montreal Forum, which is a legendary type building. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, so they, uh, so, um, so going into 19, so going into, um, uh, 1933-34, which is like sort of like uh, how this all coming into. Um, so, like I say, there, there's this tremendously competitive team, and so, uh, the, so the next sort of person that's like you know integral to understand with regards to the Maroons in 35-36 is a is a coach general manager named Tommy Gorman, and you can throw him up on the screen. We got a picture of him. Um, so Tommy Gorman is one of the most like legendary names in the history of hockey. So not only is he was he one of the founding members of the NHL, like he was like he had a role in founding the NHL, but he was but this is a guy who um, was he was ele- he was he, he's in the uh, um, NHL Hall of Fame, the Ottawa Hall of Fame, and also the Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame. Huh. So I mean, this guy he's the like Horse Racing Hall yes, of Fame. This as guy well? is he's done everything, and this guy this guy won in his career. He won seven total Stanley Cups. And he won, and he's the only man in the history of sport, in all of sport. It doesn't matter what sport you're talking about—baseball, football, hockey, the major sports, anyways. Huh. He's the only man to win to win um, his championship with four different teams. So, like everywhere this guy goes, he's winning Stanley Cups. Hmm. And so, um, and so in 1933-34, he is he is the coach and general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks. And this is the and so he took the Chicago Blackhawks from last place to first place in a single year, and that was the team that beat the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup championship, their, mm. the fir- their first appearance in the Stanley Cup. Wow. So Gor- Tommy Gorman is the coach of the coach and general manager of the Blackhawks that beats the Red Wings in their first Stanley Cup championship. That's wild. All right, yes. And so then he gets into a disagreement with Frederick McLaughlin, the guy that's the, he's the owner of the Blackhawks. Was it his neighbor? No. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. So anyways, <laughs> so he gets into an argument with with uh, Frederick McLaughlin, with the owner of the Blackhawks, and so he basically like leaves the Blackhawks. Hmm. And he's like, oh, so I'm going to another – so I'm going over to the Montreal Maroons. So, so the very next year, which is 1934-35, he goes to the Montreal Maroons, and he turns them into a Stanley Cup winner. Right. So he wins back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. With two different teams. With two different teams. And now, and he says this about the, about the team he built in, in Montreal in 1934-35, which was, this was the greatest team that ever stepped on the ice. And I have the quote in my book, but I just kind of wrote it down here for, for, for ease. He, he believed that the 34-35 Maroons were the best team he, that ever, not only that he ever built, but the best team that ever went that skated the ice of any, the NHL. Right. That's what he said, and, of, and he would know. He's, uh, these he's are the words there since the beginning. Yeah. yeah, Are these the words of Gorman here? That was Tommy Gorman. What he yeah. said right. about that thirty-four, thirty-five Maroon team championship that he built. So there's two. So he went back to back championships. Now, nineteen thirty-five, thirty-six. This is the third year in a row. This is the same 34-35 Maroon team that he claimed was the best team in NHL history. So you got to know their plan. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, so Tommy Gorman's won two Stanley Cups in a row with two different teams, and now he's going for his third championship in a row. This is the Maroons team we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. The coach and GM is a friggin' legend <laughs> in the history of the NHL. I mean, he's one of the best team-building coaches ever. And the team that he's bringing to this game, he claims, that, you know, it was, and it was virtually the same identical team. It's almost the same exact team that he ran out in 1934-35. 
Um, and he, th- this is the team that he claims the best team in the history of the NHL. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. This is not some powder puff team that got rolled over by the Red Wings in the playoffs. This is one of the most the best teams ever. Okay, so so anyway, so one of the guys that that Tommy Gorman was like was like sort of his, one of the players that um, is, is absolutely essential to understanding the 35-36 Montreal Maroons is a guy named Lionel Conacher. And so he's the, his nickname was the Big Train. And we have, this, we have a slide of, Tom, uh, of Lionel Conacher, too. So, so, we're, so the, the three credentials we talked about with the Hall of Fames for Tommy Gorman, listen to this guy's credentials, okay? Canadian Sports Hall of Fame, Canadian Football Hall of Fame, Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Fame, Ontario Sports Hall of Fame, NHL Hall of Fame, and the Lionel Conacher Award is the award still given out to this day by the Canadian press to the male athlete of the year. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I listen to a lot of uh, Canadian yes. radio. Um, Lionel Conacher. I listen to the CBC, and it, yeah, that name comes up. He is. He was voted at. I forgot when when he, when this was when this was voted on, but. He was voted as Canada's best athlete of the first half of the 20th century. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so here's a quick little. A that's a monster. Little, so here's a yeah. couple little quick credentials. 1921, he wins the Grey Cup in football. He's a Grey Cup. He was one of the best players in the Grey Cup, of, of which is a football. It was a Canadian football champion, Toronto Argonauts. Yeah. Toronto Argonauts are a well, very well known na- team name. So he won the football championship with the Toronto Argonauts in 1926. He's playing. He's uh, he's he's playing baseball for the Toronto Maple Leafs, is a in a baseball team Jeez. that won the International League Championship, which is a Triple A championship. So he wins a baseball championship just a few years after that. Do you know what his stats were during that season? Oh, we've got there's. I mean, I'm trying to run down. We've got a bunch of you know. Oh, I mean, I've, fair enough. I'm just curious. Oh, if anybody that's interested in Lionel Conacher, man, there's there's a lot of. I'm telling you, I've got a comic book on Lionel Conacher. It's like they did a, a like a 1950s like. Sort of like a retro, like after, you know, like to talk about the history of hockey. And they have a, there's, yeah. I have this incredible Lionel Conacher comic book. It's just so great. Um, and so, I mean, he's just so legendary. So, yeah, so, it, so, not, so he was with Tommy Gorman in 33 34 with the Blackhawks when they beat the Wings oh in the God. championship. Nice. And then Tommy Gorman brought him to Montreal in 34 35 to right. help him win with the Montreal Maroons. Jeez. So, this is, I'm trying to paint this picture. This is a guy that wherever he goes, he is winning He's championships. Winning. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He is a monster. Yeah. yeah. He is a monster, and so, um, and so, and then there's a. I, from what I was kind of reviewing my notes today, um, various wrestling, boxing, and lacrosse championships. Okay, lacrosse? I don't even know the dates. Yeah, really? it's like I just it's just a quick note. Very just to summarize the story. Well, here's very, the thing about various wrestling sport. You know what I mean? Like he's got so many of them that you just have to put various. So in. I I think his uh, career was sports. Absolutely, it's, it's about athlete, athletes. Athletes today are, are get so specialized. And they, yes. they 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 get so focused, and that is the problem. It's it's actually when the, if they get to college, it's interesting how like college baseball players uh, become, or like college football players become uh, baseball players, or college baseball players become football players. Right. I, I think it's interesting, but a lot of times they're very very focused uh, on their Absolutely. sport, and even through high school, and then it's causing like injuries like crazy in young in young people. It, it's but, these repetitive injuries because kids would play. They would play baseball and then they would play football and then yeah, they would they play, play lacrosse and they would play different and you'd use different well, muscles Buck, and you'd well, do it Buckle in different McDonald, ways. Buckle McDonald, they viewed Bucko as the sort right, of right. heir to Lionel Conacher because um, he Buckle McDonald had come from the lacrosse fields similar to to uh, Lionel Conacher. Um, and then he was uh, he was a, a big bruising defenseman, just like Lionel Conacher. In fact, leading up to this playoff matchup, yeah. they, that was one of the big matchups that they were saying was 
that that uh, Bucko McDonald was the new Lionel Conacher. How was he going to face off against the the old the, Lionel Conacher? The, the Lionel, Lionel Conacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like his. That was like his guy that they were you know t- you know tasked to you know sort of face off against. Yeah. So that was the right. That was the matchup that the media was touting was you know this new you know the new versiole. So anyway, so this is this is one you know this is one one of the guys in the Montreal Maroons. Okay, yeah. Lionel Conacher. He's a he's like an absolute legend. All right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so um. So that's one of the guys. Another one of the guys, which is also one of my favorite players from this early era, um, is the captain of the Maroons. His name is uh, Reginald Hooley Smith. Everybody knows him today. Everybody, you know, whenever you hear his name, it's Hooley Smith. Right. Um, but his first name is Reginald. Reggie. Uh, yeah. So he is the he's the center. He's the center of the of, of the Maroons. He's the captain of the Maroons. Um, and this and we have another graphic with uh, with Hooley Smith. And this graphic, this is a graphic that we've used on numerous shows before. Because Hooley Smith played oh, with Ottawa. played yes with Jack Adams on that 1926 <sighs> championship Ottawa team. Damn. Yeah, this that was um, I believe that was his first season in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And first or it was one of his first couple seasons in the NHL. But, but then what we're going to talk about the longest game was against Jack Adams as well. No, I Jack so. Adams, the coach of the 30 of uh, the Red Wings. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Yeah, no, no, I'll tell, tell me, I'm t- I'll go with the story. Enjoy the ride, man. Yeah. Enjoy the ride. So, I'm working on it. Yeah, so Jack, you know, Jack. The, what, one of the things we talked about in a previous episode was there's the the Ottawa champ, the Ottawa Senators had this in 1926-27. They had this incredible. They had this. In, they had this incredible team that won this Stanley Cup. In the this one team, this very special team. Things just, just, just doing its own. Yeah, this very special team, this Ottawa Senators team, had like every person on this team was like involved with this Red Wing story in so right. many different components. Yeah, the graphic that we're using right now is like the fifth time we've used this graphic. Oh my God, yeah, the, the, the coach of the De- of the Detroit Olympics. Matt, the coach of the Detroit Olympics was the trainer of the of the Ottawa Senators, not from 1926. There's wow. so many players. In fact, when when, the, when we get to the, the Toronto Maple Leafs in the finals, there's three more guys from the Ottawa Senators. I think there's three more guys from this Ottawa Senators team that all play a role in this cup. This one team was like a just an absolute powerhouse all star team all that right. like after that season was over, they just kind of like dispersed across the NHL and they all sort of synced back up in this one year. Like they all sort of crossed paths. Huh. So um it's just fascinating. And that's what I'm saying. And, and Hooley Smith is one of these guys. You know, the the fact that this Hooley Smith Reggie. he's a he's a he is a um he's a Hall of Famer. You know, he's a Hall he's a, you know he, he himself is a Hall of Famer. But he is um you know he's he's basically like the Steve Eiserman of this of this uh Montreal Maroons team. He's a you know longtime captain and he is um he's like the you know the heart and soul of this team. He's a scorer, he's a he's a you know he's a two-way you know player. He's he's everything. And um early in his career there's a uh, this this isn't has necessarily to do with 35, but a few years prior there was this legendary line called the S line that um that with the, with two other guys whose last names started with an S named uh, uh Nell Stewart and uh, uh Babe Siebert. Who these like? This line was one of the most famous and feared lines in the history of the NHL, especially in these early days. Like this S line, like they were like almost. I mean, they're like basically on like, like unstoppable. They're you know they're incredible. And so, um, they, you know, like they're like anytime you ever look up Hooley Smith, they're like one of the feared members of the S line. <laughs> you know, like like it's like anybody that looks back at 30s and 40s hockey history, they're uh. like. The S line, you know, what I mean, like it's just almost right. like mythical, uh, mythical of how good they were, and he was one of these, you know, one of the key components of this line, Jeez. and so, uh, you know, which which was a, the, this line for the the Montreal Maroons. So anyway, so that so the so the Maroons got Hooley Smith in his prime. Okay, mm-hmm. that's who they got. That's their that's their guy, right? 
Um, and so then, and then the, the last guy I want to talk about is a guy named Lauren Chabot, who is the goalie of the Montreal Maroons. Um, he was acquired actually in mid-season of the 1935 season by, um, you know, by uh, Tommy Gorman in exchange for a, a fellow we talked about last week, which was, or two weeks ago, Toe Blake. Who's the guy that started the big riot at Olympia when uh, he tried to club Ebby Goodfellow right. with a stick? Yeah, that was the guy. So, so Toe Blake himself became a Hall of Famer and is one of the greatest hockey players of all time, actually, or, or at least in the early days of hockey. Just a tremendous, uh, you know, tremendous player. And so he came to that. Uh, he came from the Montreal Maroons um, in exchange because the, the Maroons were having a bit of a goalie situation, and the guy they got, Lauren Chabot. They the Maroons knew who they were giving up in Toe Blake. Mm-hmm. Toe Blake was a tremendous player. He was in, even in his even in this season. Um, but the guy they got, Lauren Chabot, I'll give you a little bit quick rundown of him. All right, he'd already won two two Stanley Cups, uh, one with the Rangers in 1927-28, one with the Toronto Maple Leafs in thirty one thirty in nineteen thirty one thirty two, um, in thirty four thirty five, which was the the year prior to this thirty five uh, thirty six season, he'd won the Vezina Trophy as the best goaltender in the NHL. Um, he was the first pl- NHL player on the cover of Time Magazine. That's what the, another graphic we have to show up on the screen there. Um, is I actually had the Time Magazine cover with him on it. That's the first NHL player ever on the cover of Time wow. Magazine. Um, and then and so um, in Hockey News, after his career is over 2010, Hockey News listed him as one of the top 100 NHL players of all time. He was number ranked number 84. Uh, the twentieth best goalie according to their um, their list, mm-hmm. and he's the only person in the entire top one hundred players of all time that's not in the Hall of Fame. <sighs> so, so even though Lawrence Chabot isn't in the Hall of Fame, yeah. he has the credentials to be so. Mm-hmm. So he is a tremendous goalie. This is a guy they're facing. Um, they're, so this is the guy the Red Wings are facing in goal, who is one of the best premier goaltenders in the entire NHL. And the, and the you know the Maroons knew it. That's why they traded one of their top talents, which was Toe Blake, to get him. And so. Uh, so, um, and this is a quick little fact, the second longest hockey game in the history of the NHL, All right. he was the goalie, and he won that game. That was in 1932-33 with Toronto Maple Leafs. The second longest. Yes, which leads us to the longest game, the longest game which t- is what it, we're about to start out talking about. And, and it took us a while to get to the yes. longest no, no. game. Yeah. Yes, but this is, I tried to, to, try to paint to a picture. I want to paint a picture of the team they're facing because... Because the story that the story about this longest game ever, yeah, it's always been like, oh, they played the Montreal Maroons and it's the longest game ever. Now it was incredible. It lasted for you know they they everybody runs down that how long it was and the score and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. there's no context about the game itself. Right. You know that the reason this game like this, I mean, this is a battle of heavyweights. Right. All right. The Red Wings are an incredible team as we've seen all year long. You know they had this slugfest in the regular season, and now they go into the playoffs against the top team in the Canadian division. That's like one of the best teams ever, coached by one of the best coaches GMs ever, with one of the best goalies ever, with one of the with Hooley Smith and one of the best, you know Lionel Conacher and a series of all these other guys. You know, because the list: Baldy Northcutt, Dave Trottier, Earl Robinson, Gus Marker, Alan Shields, a bunch of other guys. Mm-hmm. This is a, one of the best teams in the NHL history, and then. Uh, without further ado, we can talk about this uh, the longest game ever, which was the first game, the very first game of the playoffs for the Red Wings. When they go to they go to Montreal, they go to the Montreal Forum to face this team, and right off the bat, um, they have the longest game in NHL history, a literal slugfest with this what, thing. What's this the team. date of the uh, game? So I've got it right here. It was um, I'm I'm terrible with the actual dates. No, you're um, good. So, anyways. Um, 
So, anyways, where's the edge? So, two. I'm gonna start with Paige. Because it's the start. It's the very first game of the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? It's the very yeah, exa- yeah the very first game of the yeah for the Red Wings. Anyways, I right. think the, the the semi. I think I think they might have played the semifinals before they got there. But um, so, anyways, okay. So here is so here so it was uh, so the game was on March 24th was the game of 1936. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, so I want to read to you sort of uh, sort of like a summary, just like a one page. There's this this as you would imagine, the summary of the game is about eight pages long. Oh my of god, course. The first, <laughs> it's the yeah. longest game ever. How yeah. many yeah. hours? Uh, Leo McDonald was banging the ki- typewriter you, keyboard for a half a day to get this story. You need out. you need some ink to get that done. Exactly, yeah. and it's Leo McDonald. Our buddy is going, my god, oh, I got to yeah, cover yeah, this yeah. story. Because this day and age, a normal hockey game lasts what hour and a half, two hours. Hour and a half, you know, like yeah, this an hour and a half, yeah. Right. So, so this, this was, game goes on for six hours. Geez. So let's start at the beginning. So yeah. So well, th- th- this is a great because it's a it's a nice little overview. Leo. His first page, the first page I'm going to read is a nice little sort of summary overview of all the mm-hmm. stuff. And then I can talk, and I have a few more quotes about some of the particulars that were really interesting from that night. And so, again, before I even say it, this game, like when this is pretty much, whenever anybody talks about the 1935 Red Wings, the, you know, they, they'll, they'll mention that they won the championship. But this story is the, pretty much the only thing you ever hear. Right. You never hear about the regular season. You never hear about what, anything that came after this. You never hear about really anything that came before it. You hear I, about I, the I longest we've done, game like, ever. what, 11 or 12 episodes on this already? Yeah, there's there, like, every single thing. But no, thing. I mean, I, they've all been, like, really important, too. That's what, what I'm saying, though, is that this, all so this, is our, this is our take on this story. We're actually sure. diving into it and setting the context and the framework. So yeah. yeah, so I'm going to read you the, the sort of the overall summary, the quick summary of it. All right. So Madre Mud Brunito, slim and sleek French-Canadian lad, just turned 22 and playing his first season on big time, this morning emerged hero from the longest, most bitterly fought game in the long and glamorous history of hockey. I love the, the clo- language, man. Yeah, it's Leo McDonald's second to none. Um, the clock pointed to 22 minutes after two when young Winnipeg boys' storybook goal came, breaking up a thrill-packed, puck-pounding contest that smashed records for time and sent the Red Wings flying out in front in their first game of their Stanley Cup series with the Maroons by a score of one to nothing. Mm. When Brunito ended the game, two great and thoroughly game but exhausted teams had played 176 minutes and 30 seconds of hockey, extending over nearly six hours, during which 10,000 fans were wrapped in amazement. So, um, so they break. So the title of this next like, break mark made in Toronto, in 1933. Staggering up and down the ice on weary legs and feebly trying to, to check one another, the contest ended. When ended, was in its ninth period, sixth of overtime. So nine periods, six overtimes. The old mark was 164 minutes and 48 seconds, established in Toronto in 1933 when Ken Doherty's lone goal won for the Maple Leafs over Boston Bruins. Sharing fame with Brunito was Heck Kilria. Victor, veteran of many cup, cup playoffs and still ranking as tops among money players. It was Kilria who pushed the puck t- into Montreal territory and made the pass that was scooped up by the alert Brunito and shoveled into the net past the startled, startled Lauren Chabot, grizzled veteran who, along with Normie Smith, played amazingly in the nets. Brilliant in a remarkable display of batting and kicking out pucks, Smith turned in his greatest game in one of the finest exhibitions in the history of Stanley Cup competition. He more than matched Chabot in a thrilling duel that had Montreal fans marveling. As one and then the other goalies squirmed, stretched, and dived into smother and clear pucks rained in on them during the night's time-eating orgy. While, <laughs> while Chabot was turning back 80 shots, North Smith saved 75, oh. dozens of which were seemingly goal-ticketed and coming in, a, in the hectic overtime heats when a goal meant victory in the sudden-death system used in the series. 
joining Smith in the distribution of glory were the Red Wing defensemen and Detroit smart back-checking forwards who teamed in a magnificent performance that sent the Red Wing stock soaring as they prepare for the second game of the set here Thursday. Man. Leo's a wordsmith. Dude. I just, you know, poet. the puck pounding. Yeah, he's, just, a, he's a word. He's, he's my alliteration poet. king there. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he, is a, he, is a, he is a NHL poet. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love I'm hearing sorry, that, the man. Sorry, the twelve year old that I, the twelve year old in me came out. He said orgy. Ah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He. Well, those are the words he used to keep your attention. Yeah. Hell yeah. It kept know? my attention. Hell yeah. So, so yeah. So this is that's the overall summary. Was that you get the idea that you have this, you know, this contest with goalies. The defensemen are going back and forth. You know, yeah. Mud Brunetol scores the goal. Um, and so here's my here's like sort of the next uh, thing I wanted to throw in here too. Yeah, so yeah. Page eighty six. This is a little bit of some of the particulars from the evening. Yep. So, um, so what does it say? Uh, uh, so this is a description by um, by Mud by Mud Brunito, which we talked about last week. Yeah. Of um of the of the actual scoring of the goal. Um. So he says. Uh, um. All so all I know is this said Brunito. Heck had the puck and he was skating like the devil. He broke through the last two men and cut to his left. I swung down the right, turning towards the net. Just as I got there, Chabot lunged towards Heck, who passed to me. I had plenty of space to shoot through, and the puck grazed his arm. I happened to be there, and that's all. Heck, Kilrea deserves the real credit. He's the one who made the play. I just batted it into the net. You know what that's called, Chuck? Charles? With the, the, um, the, what, uh, what he just described? That's called puck luck. Puck luck. Well, but not when it comes to Heck Kilrea, who brought no. the puck down ice. All right. You know, he, I mean, he was. But he just was the in the way right, that just he the was in the right place at the right time. But it was a bang bang play, which means Heck got it to him, and the wide puck was wide. You know, you know, Mickey Mickey Redman will often refer to puck luck. Well, maybe, but this was a solid play. <laughs> this was. It wasn't like he just whammed it in and it just went in. He was like, you know, he you know he gives full credit to 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 um, to Heck Kilrea because he says. You know, Heck had the puck and he was skating like the devil. He broke through the last two men and cut to his left. I swung down to the right towards the net. Just as I got there, Ch- Chabot lunged towards Heck, which opened the goal sp- uh, space for him. Right. We said right there, who who passed to me? I had plenty of space to shoot through, and the puck grazed his arm. All right, so yeah. I happened to be there, and that's all. If it was another guy, he would have been open too. Then yeah. he, he was he was crediting the luck that right. he was the guy in that situation. But if it would have been virtually any other Red Wing in his spot, yeah. Heck would have got him the pass just the same. Yeah. So it wasn't just some fluke play. Like it was a, you know, it was a, I like to think it was like all this action going on See, and it finally swung around and the puck was open and there it was. And I said puck luck because that's just by happenstance the puck goes in. But what just happened, what you just described, is gentlemen reading each other's minds yeah. and knowing where they were going to be. Whoever it was going to be, they bang, yeah. bang, Here's tape to tape. Goal is open yeah, because they exactly. did something he right. Was, yeah, and it was you know you're talking about you know they're talking six hours of hockey, Ugh. and these guys are swirling around for six but, hours. Uh, and what part of the what, what part of the game? And then you was thought that? the lions, the ni- you the thought the lions period. were this, the iron. This is the ninth time. period that happened. Yeah, and so and they're still a, reading each other's minds. Well, they're you know I mean there's this this thing's going on for nine hours. At this point, it's just become a marathon. Who can nine stand period, the longest yeah. and who can suck it up? I mean they're they're like they're. There's a, there's descriptions in here. There's all I spent a lot of time writing about these games in here, and they're talking about like a, in the, like in like uh, during periods they're they're drinking brandy with sugar in it and all this weird. I mean, <laughs> gotta stay like, awake somehow. Well, yeah, Brand, you know, brandy with so, sugar you know, in your water bottle on the bench. Saying, I like it. Well, here you go, Jamie. And that's what they're saying is, <laughs> really, it became like this grind out. 
Like, think about it, there's no Zambonis in this day and sure, age. Sure, no. Oh, the ice so must have been just They're dead. just sweeping the ice. They're sweeping the ice chunks. So at the end, they're, like, skating on cement. I mean, yeah. this thing is, I mean, this is this is the very definition of who wants it most. Oh, right. Yeah, you yeah, know, right. and it's not to take anything from the Maroons saying, like, they didn't want it as much as the Red Wings. But I'm saying, like, you know, they, like, this was this was an absolute marathon, grind out, like, I, the, you know, this is I forget you know, about, final uh, battle type and, thing. and I forgot about, you know, the, the because, you know. In the century that we're in, the 21st century, the ice is has to be pristine. It has to be in a position. Oh, my it, God, yeah. It has to be perfect yeah. for, for them to skate on. But you're going back to 1936 when they were skating on, as you said, concrete, right? Barely. Yeah. Barely, you know, yeah. I mean, pretty much because they're yeah, there's it. no zambon. They doesn't they can't refresh the ice. Right. They're just sweeping off the the extra ice that they've carved out with all their skates for nine hours. Yeah, geez. so there's no extra there, ice what, being nine made. Nine periods. Yeah, not, yeah, nine periods. Yeah. yeah. So every once in a while, they maybe they could dump a little bit of water on the ice to try to get it to freeze a little bit. But I mean, how fast is it going to freeze? It's not. No. So, so the ice is just chopped up in chunks, and so that's what I mean. Like this, this is the kind of. Imagine that's one of the things I guess. The, so the let picture, me go back to puck luck. I'm just kidding. No, I'm saying that that's one of the pictures. That I think a lot of times when they when you talk about just the stats, like how long the game was and how many extra periods it went to and all this, that doesn't really it doesn't get talked about is it's like imagine after nine hours, these guys are just literally just I mean, they're just skating on like tenacity and just guts. I mean, there's no, like you know, if the first guy that can summon enough energy to make that final <laughs> rush on the ice, yeah, yeah, yeah. they seize a little crease heading down towards goal, and these you know, you can see the goalie swings out, you know. Towards Heck, and then Heck still has enough energy to you know swing that pass over through all the ice chunks and you know debris God, to get it to standing. to get it to mud and mud slings it in you know so that's so anyways so uh, Jack Adams has a little, has a great little quote here and this is uh, by Bob Murphy um, shortly after the game where Jack Adams is sort of talking about um, in the game like how dog tired they were and sort of what they were yeah. um, doing how many bananas and pizza can you how many bananas and pieces of pizza can you eat. Well, Tip. I don't think they were eating much of that. They were drinking bourbon and sugar. <laughs> sugar, Bermuded sugar was what I read was one of the things that kept them going. But they um, – so anyways, uh, so this is Jack Adams talking, and this is Bob Murphy uh, reporting. He says, uh, the fellows were down on the floor dead tired, said Jack Adams. Uh-huh. Um, uh, no one was saying anything. This is, be- this is between periods. This is, oh, no, this is, this is, um, be- this is the, this is the uh, between periods – before the final overtime period. So right. this is after the this is in between the eighth and ninth periods of the game. Gotcha. So the fellows were down on the floor dead tired, said Jack Adams. No one was saying anything. No one had that much energy. All of a sudden Herbie, meaning Herbie Lewis, leapt to his feet, smiled, and yelled to the gang, Say, fellows, said Herbie, who was who was trying to appear as fresh as a daisy. Isn't this a joke on Charlie Jacobs, the Olympia concession man? He's waited all his life for a hockey game that would go this long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'd make $1,000 if this game had been played in Detroit. Do you know? <laughs> Do you know, asked Jack Adams, that Lewis pulled the team right back into good spirits. He made them forget they That's were tired. Great. It was a great psychological move by one of the game's greatest. Our fellows went out went out and ended the game in the next period. I give this little wisecracker part of the credit. Nice. One of the concession vendors really would've, needed would've the money. Made tons but... of money. Yeah. They, well, they would have made tons of money selling you know, you know, all those items. So that's what he was laughing about for that. So, um, so anyways, so one of the unsung heroes that, you know, of course, doesn't get talked about and really never gets talked about for anything is Buckle McDonald, of course, our, you know, our growing to be at least my favorite player. I think he's growing on our, the rest of the, uh, Jamie, I think he's become one of your I favorites. Love Bucko. Bucko, yeah? I love Bucko. Bucko. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm learning and I'm yeah. liking Bucko more and more. So anyway, so Bucko 
is so Bucko is unsung here because he doesn't score. There's only one goal scorer, right? But the, so the three biggest heroes of the night um, were uh, Mud Brunito, of course, Normie Smith, who stopped. They say in the article uh, 75 saves, but I saw in other sources 90 saves or even 91 saves. Um, you know, there's I mean, there's so many saves. Sometimes you just probably lose track. But um, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, just you know, an incredible number of saves. Um, so those are the two heroes. But the other third hero recognized by all the papers was Buckle McDonald um, because of the, his because of what he did. And I'll read you a description of sort of why they viewed him as one of the best players on this team. So he said. So um, this this article is by uh, Bob Murphy again um, from Detroit Times. Uh, March twenty sixth is the day after the game. So um, so Bucko has a big night. So and getting back to Bucko the Sacco, my what a fierce, brutal job of body checking he did. He scattered and splattered maroons all over the ice like hapless objects being twisted and torn in the grip of a cyclone. You said Oof. scattered Jeez. and splattered. Yeah. Just I, no, I, I want to make sure I heard that. I just freaking love him. He didn't say it. Yeah. He, he, McDonald's you, you wrote, said it. You yeah. read it. Yeah, I just haven't even got to the, even the most colorful lines. Yeah. yeah. So in getting back to Buck of the Saga, Moy, what a fierce, brutal job of body checking he did. He scattered and splattered maroons all over the ice like helpless objects being twisted and torn in the grip of a cyclone. Having little else to do, this writer started keeping track of the men he sprawled on the glass glossy <laughs> surface. After nice. the total had reached 21, I quit counting. Uh, it became just another bruising bump. In the very first period, the first six men that McDonald checked went over like bulls hitting the forehead with an axe. He started with Ward, and then he sent Hooley Smith into a headlong spin. Twice in succession, he sent Marker spinning crazily to the ice. Then Shields was his victim. He got Marker a third time, a record of six for six, which is good hitting even for Ty Cobb. It was then waved to the penalty box. He kept up the brutal assaults all through the game, and for those who love the Sacco type of an athlete, well, it's a shame you couldn't have seen the young giant rattle their bones in the forum last night. He rattled them as no hockey player ever has. Jesus. So that's what. So that's that's what somebody that saw the game thought about Bucko. I lost count at twenty one. Oh my god! It reminds me of that uh, NFL player that like had like the towel on with the numbers of the players, and he was like crossing them off as yeah. he was like taking them out yeah. and he got penalized like yeah. crazy back in they would have been applauding him right and like carrying him out on his shoulders for for doing that and yeah it's just i uh, stopped counting at 21 21 yeah. he was on a it was just another victim and he's like he's yeah. like he, he's and, but the great thing is when you're reading this just and he says victim. he's reading this to you and he says for those that love this style of game, it's too bad you couldn't have been there. You know, like he's like oh, talking God. to us 80 years later going, it's just too bad because I love that kind of game. He's like, you know, it's just a shame you couldn't have been there last yeah. night. You See, know? I, I like <laughs> this. Yeah. And I really enjoy the physical part of hockey where they time their hits and it's got to be legal. Yeah. But back then, it well, was. Bucko, we talk about Bucko. Bucko was a smooth hitter. Yeah. He was like, he rarely got penalized. That's one of the things they've talked about with Buckle. There was a year, a couple years after this, he went through the entire season without a single penalty, and his entire game was predicated on hitting people. Uh-huh. This, like, so this, this is a guy that was like not just like a mauler type of a hitter. He was a clean hitter. Like He would knock people down, and they were all clean hits. Mm-hmm. And so that's what made him special was that he was able to really – he was able to remove other teams' players from the equation constantly, yeah. right, right, consistently, right. and without removing himself from the game. Mm-hmm. That's what made him special, and that's like you know, and, and it, just his personality. Like every once in a while, we're going to get to it. Like when he, like he would score these goals, and they were like, 
like he would score like two goals all year, but they were like two of the greatest goals ever. Like they were the only they were like the like just in, at at in, in moments where when you saw them, it just it was you it emphasized or, or made the game you know at that moment. Like they weren't just random goals they scored at the end right, of some right. crap game. They were like big time goals. Well, here's the thing though, right? There's no Sports Center. There's no eleven o'clock news. Yeah. There's no there's no replay on this. So these words that these that. They're trying you know, to convey the, the, the emotion. The, this is this is the eleven o'clock news. This Absolutely. is the recap. This is the, these these words are the sports center. Yeah, in a in a few grainy photographs. I mean, the photographs you have are great for yeah. the for the for time the times, yeah. for the time. You know, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're but they are they're, the sports they're, center. They're, they're trying crap. to write. Yeah, and these <laughs> you know, are you're right. Jim. The and photos, right. it's, it's like so hard. It's like I because I want to get so into it and I want to see it the way we see it now. Because I'm sure it would be just like so majestic to yeah. see some of these things yeah. that, that unfolded. But they are know. doing that by telling us through and, the words, oh, no, right? and, and convey and the, it through. No, and they he, they do. And yeah. they, as a journalist, I I love yes. what these guys are doing. You get it? You, you you nailed it. That's exactly correct. And the color and the and the fun that they bring to to, yeah. to what they bring to life. <laughs> yeah. I, I that's why. It, it, Three quarters of my like indulgence in in what we're doing here is is listening to you these bring quotes, yes. the, the, these words of these writers. Uh, I, I pull stuff out of here all well, the that's time. That's why I use them. That's why it, I, that's why I was so like liberal with the usage of these quotes. Yeah. I would I the the way that I, I tried to act as was as somebody that sort of set up the situation and then I turned it over for the writers of the time. I tried to bring their voices back. So I've got <sighs> quotes all through here, and like I said, with the buckle chapter. I got really lucky because there was so much information on Bucko. I didn't have to say a single thing. The oh my god! Chapter. Yeah. So yeah, like, like one of my favorite articles we've already I've already <clears throat> read in a previous art, uh, episode where we yeah. said like they were like the you know the whirling dervishes yeah, or yeah, the yeah, red yeah. wolves on the prowl. They never went with the same descriptions. It was always right. like because they were they were conceptualizing in the games. You know, according to what they saw, and you're like, you know, and that's what's, and you hit it right in the head. I'm glad you see that because that's absolutely what I was trying to do. If, if and they, that's absolutely what I'm trying to do, we're trying to do with the show is to is to bring, you know, let these people tell you what happened because their job in 1935 was the primary conveyor of information about these games yeah. to their viewing audience, mm-hmm. and that now or is serving the, or, audience, you know, to yeah. their to their audience, whether yeah, yeah. yeah, to the reader who was the audience that couldn't get to the game. And now, eighty years later, here they are doing the same thing. They're they're you know through the microphone, through this power media, you know, but, through, but from their words, eighty years ago, we're conveying that story, this game to them. You see, what I'm saying like, I think I just think I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that we're able to bring their words back like this, and and their you know their original purpose of telling the games is once again being you know resurrected. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So, so I got one more little. All right. Quote yeah. What else we got to cover today? So, one more last little uh, quote from about, and this is about Bucko again. Okay. I don't even have to flip the page for this. I, I, we love Bucko. Come on, I love Bucko. So, anyways, this is like one of my favorite quotes of the entire book. You All right. I had to bring this eating. in. Come on. This is one of my favorite things. Okay. All right. So, because Mud Brunito, there's a couple other articles about Mud where they're interviewing Mud after the game because he's a superstar. He's like not not a superstar, but he's a he's a star at this moment. Like everybody yeah. knows his name. And he ends up becoming a Red Wings, uh, uh, you know, he's in the Red Wings Hall of Fame, and he becomes a major goal-scoring power in, throughout the rest of his career with the Red Wings. Um, but this is, of course, the goal he's always known for. But Mud Brunetel, when they're asking Mud about, hey, Mud, you know, they're like, hey, you know, they're, you know, they, it's your typical sports questions where, they, you know, the sports writer says, hey, Mud, how you, you know, what's it feel like to be like, 
the greatest name in hockey today. Like, everybody knows your name, and you're the biggest star in the world. What does it feel like? And he's just like, well, I, I just want to thank everybody because everything's great. You yeah, know, okay, like, easy, Michael. You know, like, you know, like <laughs> your basic, you know, your standard formalized sports answers. Quit teasing, Tito. You know, yeah. you know he's, where he's like, where, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, his yeah, yeah. formulaic response where, like, I got to thank my teammates. Like, with the article I just read about Heck Kilrea where he's like, it was all heck. I just happened to be there. You know, like he's giving credit to everybody else, and he's like, "What is the first thing you do?" He's like, "Oh, I called my dad. That was the first thing I did. I told my dad how you know how great it was. You know, like he's just giving these kind of standard formulae questions, do next? right? I'm going to Disney World. Well, so so anyways, so you know, so that's why I wanted to set that up because Mud was just ba- you know Mud Bruins was just kind of going, well, you know, everything, you know, like, I, I got to thank my teammates and stuff. But in, so but this is so this is now where we bring in Bucko. Okay, I want to this is and this is where I want to start out with so the Bucko McDonald in this very next bit. And, and Bucko was twenty one plus hits. Is that yeah? Him? Bucko's this Bucko's this create this awesome personality who does who like says whatever the hell he wants to say, right? So Bucko is not like <laughs> Bucko is not like Mud Brunito, okay? So as I'm saying, like so so here is uh so here is Mud Brunito. I want to try I'm trying to get the. Um, the the date of it it is uh, I mean this is the very next and, day and you're talking oh it's Bob Murphy again this is actually two days later okay so this is two days later right so but Bob Murphy again so again we just established that Mud Brunito was being this kind of laid back you know giving credit to everybody else and you know you know doing this formulaic sports response to an answer of like what does it feel like to be on the top of the mountain but in decided contrast to the quiet and modest Mud Brunito was pounding, pulverizing McDonald, kid defenseman who gave a history-making phenomenal performance of brutal body-checking in the 176 minutes and 30 seconds of play. McDonald was up and was up and about early. He went for a long hike, buying newspapers on every corner. He sat in the hotel lobby and acknowledged the salutes from passers-by. He chuckled and smiled as he read glowing accounts of his work. He was here, there, and everywhere, missing not a word of anything, contributing his own versions of of when the occasion presented. McDonald boasts the confidence of a king who issues orders from a high throne. He'll tell you before a game what he's going to do, and he'll be the first one after the game to confess he did it. Buckle the Sacco abhors this thing called mock modesty. But with it all, is he is vastly different type than Dizzy Dean. Nothing Bucko says or does is offensive. The only thing Bucko and Diz have in common is that both produce with TNT results. When newsmen approach him, McDonald quickly will say, Have I got time to talk with you? Say, I've got time to talk to newspapermen any hour of the day or night. Boy, just ask me something. I'll answer it. <laughs> so that's what I love. Buck, I have this vision of, like, it doesn't say it in the quote, but I have this vision of Buck. I actually wrote it in the movie like this where Bucko is sitting on a, like, a stoop, a, a porch stoop. Oh, my God. And yeah. he's got a bunch of kids going, Hey, Bucko, tell me what's more. And he's like, oh, I crushed that guy and I crushed I, that guy. I'll tell you, kids. Yeah. And then, like, the newspaper guys are standing up there and they're going, Hey, Bucko. And he's like, Oh, come on over, guy. You know, like, I got a story to tell. Yeah. Here's so, the like, thing. I, so Here's... that's like the way I picture is Bucko as he's going, you know, like in contrast to Muds, who's going, Well, you know, it was a team effort. And Bucko's going, hey, I'll Come on, I'll tell you everything you want to know. Let you me know? tell Bucko you what I did. Okay, come yeah. here. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. He's, you know, like he actually says it in decided contrast to the quiet and modest Mud Brunito was pounding, pulverizing McDonald. Pounding, you know? pulverizing. <laughs> yeah. It's alliteration. That's my jam. Alliteration sure. is my jam. Do but I got time? I got time any other of the day to talk to you. Come on over. Here's, you know? a, here's <laughs> the thing about uh, that. In juxtaposition of today, mm-hmm. is is like you get some of these NFL stars, and they sit down at a press conference, and they're like, the people asking a question, they're like, "Yes, I'm here to fulfill my contractual obligations." Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm here to fulfill my contractual obligations. It's like 
you suck. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I want Bucko. Yeah. I want these guys who are like, you know. Yeah, but it, it gives it's you this like flavor passion to these guys. Yeah. about it. it just, I, it just. The, but, the, the, but the other thing too is it's it's a it's a guy who's like that's what they're talking about in this case. Like he's like basically just sitting there hanging out. Like I was talking actually talking to a lady in the store today, and she was I forgot who she we were talking about, but it was it was basically about how players used to be way more approachable than yeah. they are today. Oh yeah, yeah. Like they they would be like it was just a guy like the Red Wings or Tigers or whatever. Um, like, like in fact, I was uh, I was reading about uh, or I watched a movie about Ron Lafleur from the Tigers the other night. It's a oh. Ron Lafleur story. If okay. you've ever seen it, it's a great little movie. It's got, no, it uh, is. It is. Oh, you've seen it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, in the movie is in the movie. Um, the he's a you know he's in prison and they're like uh, one of the guys from the prison reaches out to um, I think his name is James Butsikaris, who was one of the, he was a bar owner. Mm-hmm. And the bar owner knows Mickey uh, Billy Martin, who's the manager of the Tigers. Yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. these guys came into the bar, they hung out at the places. They were they walked amongst the people. They weren't like these billionaires that you know right. like resided in a whole separate world. You know, no, and so that's what I mean. Like these athletes and that were sort of part. <laughs> you know, they, they no, I'm just you have to climb I'm Mount thinking. Olympus to like knock on their front door. Like these guys were like you know hanging out on the front stoop talking to Jeez. kids and. Yeah. You know, have, you know, Bucko's got a stack of every newspaper that mentions his name. You know, right, he's reading right, the newspapers right, right, about right. his own story. You know, what was so, the family that had the, all the clippings that you were like well, astounded they had? Well, in fact, had, if we want to bring that last slide up, I have with Normie Smith. This is a photo of Normie Smith. The hat trick one. Yes, this is actually from Norma Smith. His it was his daughter. So I met Norma. Norma Smith was an absolutely invaluable. And when I say invaluable, if you don't know what that word means, like incredibly valuable source <laughs> of Red Wings information from this time. I mean, there were so many photos. Like, I, I want to just thank her again because I've thanked her numerous times. I think I've even thanked her in the show already. But she actually invited me into her house. She had Normie Smith collects. Normie Smith and his wife collected every clipping from his right, entire right, Red yeah. Wings career. Yeah, you had mentioned that. Yeah, there's just the this, greatest, wealth, this wealth of information. Oh, it's an it's like it's literally it's like going to the library and there's an encyclopedia where it's like chronicles it's every already day. focused for yes, you. Yes, yeah. yeah, and it's every single game of for a several years. You stretch. are my you are my microfiche yeah. friend. Yeah, so in this and so in this photo, the photo that we have in no, the screen. because like you and I get it cuz we were at yeah. the you we were at the end of it, right? People don't get Going to the library, yeah, every day, and, and pulling out those reels, and, yeah. and pulling and putting them through the 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 machine, and then making those <laughs> those copies that yep. were like they weighed like about a pound. <laughs> yeah, well, the photocopies of those, yeah, the photocopies. I actually had for most of the photocopies I made, I like had to tape together and all this. Yeah, it's because just, the articles are so huge and yeah. long. You'd have to do sometimes it cost you like a dollar to just do one article. I, I know it's it like, cost it's, me. It cost me probably tens of thousands to print all the information for yeah. this. No, it's, it's funny, but and the, but they had all this, all these clips about him. But yeah, these are actually like clippings. one collection. It oh, was like yeah. it was like this a, is a dream like from Jerusalem. Uh, and not only that, but she had a couple. You know, the she wicked had, clippings. But she also had photos, literal photos, yeah. uh, which is what I have to show on the screen. Yeah, here. What, what do we got? What do we got? Well, so this is a. These are two things from that from Norma Smith's collection from her father. And one of them the patch. And is the, the cup photo. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. the Go photo, ahead, the photo has like never been seen. That what we're showing on this photo has never been seen in the public, this, except for my books. This photo is Normie Smith right after the game, and they're like, you know, is that this legendary game? Yeah, this is right after the game. He looks just 
emaciated. Yeah, just, emaciated, and, the, and they're making fun of how they're like taking the skates off for him and everything. You a little tired? You a little tired? Like, yeah, they're come taking, on, let's go get a yeah, skate. All the players are come like, on. yeah, they're taking <laughs> the players off them. Come on. And so, um, and then also the and so the other photo on the screen is a patch that they gave to Normie. Which where it says three shutouts in one three single, shutouts in one in a game. single game. Nice three shutouts in a single well, game. Well, you go for nine flipping periods. It's three games. That's three games. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. you got So they made him a patch that actually says three hat over trick. his jacket. Yeah. So a hat trick. how many goalies get a hat no, trick? So, of three so shutouts a, in a game. That's what they called it. Was a hat trick of shutouts in a single game. Nobody ever has gotten a patch like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um. So anyways. Yeah. So Normie. So, uh, so Normie, this is uh, sort of like the last. Wait, wait the old, the old, ge- the older gentleman in that photo is that the head coach of Tommy Gorman? Oh no, no, that's yeah, that's Jack. Yeah, that, yeah, that that's... photo we're just showing. That's Jack Adams. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's Jack Adams. Yeah. So, anyways, I, I love the, I love the just the yeah, he's fun, the fun yeah. they're having. They just played, a, they just played a bloody six-hour game, right? And now they're having fun. I got a quote somewhere in the, in the books. Room. One of the players, one of the players said after that game, they went out, they went out for a couple beers after uh, that game. Hell yeah! And they said that when they went out, how do you go home? No, they said they went out and they had like one beer, and they said they were like wasted. Like, <laughs> they were like, I forgot which guy said it, but they were like, I had, we had like one beer, and I was like, dude, I gotta go, I can't, uh, I gotta go home. Like they were totally, I had enough brandy yeah. and bourbon already. So, so anyways, so here's like sort of the final quote that I have to uh, to talk about here, and this is the so so actually I'll fast forward a little bit because here so in game so that's game number one, and that uh-huh. was a huge game because it established the Red Wings as now now they're ahead in the series. It's a three game series, yeah. Right? They only have to, or it's, I'm sorry, it's a they have to win they have to win three, so it's a five game series. They uh-huh. have to win three of five. They have to win three out but of the five. But the first games. game lasted. Six or nine. It's periods. the equivalent of three games yeah, in one periods. game. Yes, yeah. three. They played three game equivalent, right? And so the second game. This is what's even more, more remarkable, and absolutely nobody has talked about this: is the fact that in game number two, Normie Smith shuts them out again. He shut them out again. Jeez. In three for this. It was only three periods. Right, so, right. So after so the longest game, when when was the next game? Well, how so many? It was like days a day late? or so. It was like a day later. It like was like a, a next. It was two, maybe two days later. Yeah, okay, it was like two, right. the next game. Game two was on the twenty fifth. The first game was on the twenty. What was it? The 20th? second or third? Uh, looks like the twenty third. Yeah. All right. So so it was like so twenty fifth. Twenty. So there was like a day. They had a day off in between. <sighs> but anyways, what'd you do on your so, day off? So, uh, Nothing. Slept. Yeah. <laughs> so game two, when the win, so they're in Montreal for game two number two, and they went. So Normie Smith shuts them out again. Nice. And then nobody ever talked about that. So he not only did have uh, three shutouts in the same game, but a fourth shutout the next game against one of the best teams ever. See, I know what you could do. I've so seen four this games. already. Yeah. So four games in a row, right? I've and studied so, you for six I've hours. I've seen you. So, so now, so now after game two, the Wings are up two games to none, and they yeah, only got to yeah. win one more. So now they head back to Detroit. All right. When they so this is and this is the final quote I want to read. This is when they arrive in Detroit, and it supports everything I've said about what a shifting about how this season made Detroiters fans of this team. All right. All right. About how they're like how Red Wings are becoming. The, the Detroit is becoming a hockey. You know, capital, and they're up two games to nil, and they're coming back to Detroit, hey, and they're, they're two hey, games up. Hawks they would have been happy with one with a split, you know, winning one and one, and coming mm-hmm. back where they still this battle that was going right. to take them to five games, which is still the same. But thing now they're today. up two games, you know. And so, so anyway, so this is this is their arrival into Detroit. Okay, this is this is on the this is on the um. So this article comes out uh, March 29th, nineteen thirty six. All right, so. 
Detroit's high-flying Red Wings, Stanley Cup bound, even though he's, they say Stanley Cup bound, even though they technically weren't at this moment. There's still one more game to play. But he's like, they're so friggin' awesome, they're headed to the Stanley right. Cup. That's why he's still like that. So Detroit's high-flying Red Wings, Stanley Cup bound, came home this afternoon to be greeted by a rip-roaring reception in an impromptu downtown parade. Ugh. Hundreds of fans crowded Brush Street Station to pay tribute Hundreds. to Jack Adams' men who took both games from the Montreal Maroons and the latter's home ice. Where's Smith, yelled the crowd. Give us Normie Smith. The gallant little Detroit goalie was one of the last to be sighted by the crowd. He blushingly received the ovation and then entered a car with Mrs. Smith. Most of the players' wives were, were on hand to greet them. Cars had been provided for the occasion, and a police escort brought the players from the depot on a tour through part of a downtown district. Signs were painted on all the cars. Stanley Cup bound, one sign read. Hail the Conquering Heroes was another. City of Champions, another. Ruddy-faced Jack Adams beaming, beamed at the reception that carried with it much backslapping for him. This is the first time anything ever happened like this so far as hockey is concerned in Detroit, he said. It'll make the boys fight all the harder. Uh-huh. This is the first time anything like this has ever happened in Detroit. For hockey. for hockey, this yep. is the moment. This yep. is when hockey. Well, and is we haven't had a football form. team. The Lions are in their second year in Detroit, yes. right? But they just they, won. They, the won. Yes. they won the championship. But they were still. But it's only their second year. Yeah. So there hasn't been chances for ticker tape parades. Detroit's just coming. The Tigers. Into it. There's been some Tigers. Absolutely. Well, they just excitement. won the first world. You know, they're winning. The, we haven't even got to the celebration of the World Series. Anyway, we didn't yeah. cover that yet. And but. then, and then, you know, Garwood has been, you know, celebratory. But uh, it's it, it, the first time that it's like but they're it's coming spilling over to hockey. Yes. It's like let's get they're this having, going. They're, all, they're still in the quarterfinals, right? Right. The semi, the, I'm sorry, the semifinals. We're not done yet, and they're not even done with the semifinals. There's still one game left to play, and they come back like conquering heroes. You know, like there's uh, a parade for them. They're because I knew like, it was a spoiler alert because I know because they the just story- did something remarkable. They nine, just had a th- oh yeah yeah three. They had they had a nine period shutout, and then Normie followed it with a, a shutout of the game too against one of the best hockey teams ever. Jeez. They're like, man, this team is for real. They're excited. The, the hockey fans are excited because the final game is on Detroit home ice. Uh, Again, well, not the final game, but what ended up turning out to be the final game, which was a two to one Red Wings victory. Right. So they swept the Maroons. And so in the first period, the first period goal scored against Normie Smith in the in that game number three was ends his shutout streak at 248 minutes and, and 30 seconds, the equivalent of four straight games, four straight shutout games in the playoffs. <laughs> in the playoffs, still a record today. Smith six. So basically, I just I, well, you don't hear that. You don't this never never brought no, up. No, and then so here's a quick fact. Is that in the entire regular let's season? Let's get Belfour on the phone. In the, in the entire <laughs> in the entire regular season, we probably could. So with some bourbon. Yeah. So in contrast, right? Normie Smith in the regular season only had a total of six shutouts in the entire forty-eight game regular season. But in the playoffs, he, he had, had four. Four. And he had six in the entire regular season. That puts into context the top shutout guy in the entire NHL. Well, only had nine. That was Tiny Thompson. He had nine. <laughs> and, he, and Normie has four. I, so who the, the six-hour game in th- two games? Was there one? Was, so was there one goalie in goal for that whole six hours? And, yeah, him and Lauren Chabot. Lauren Chabot was the Maroons goalie. That was the only guy. They didn't have a backup. So they didn't. So, they didn't even have so a backup they didn't goalie. Pull the goalie. So at you all, can't, they you didn't can't. even have a backup goalie back then, dude. The backup right. goalie, the guy, dude, the guy who was the backup goalie. 
I tried to find information on he's him. And he doesn't even like no. He was a yeah, he was basically. <laughs> there's a there's a guy in the photo where there's two goalies laying on the ground with their like legs in other directions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks like who's a that other guy? Nobody. The knows. other guy, literally, I couldn't even write about him. Right, right. He was like a. He was like. I mean, almost like they just put him in the photo just to have another goalie. They didn't have another. <laughs> I goalie. need to balance the photo. Somebody put some pads on. Like, I did my best. I didn't want to leave. Like my goal was to write a story about every person that was right, in right. those. T- it was especially on the team photos. But the that backup shirt. goalie wasn't needed. They didn't. Well, they never. Like, I don't even think he was like because there was a because in the Blackhawks game, Normie Smith was injured in the first period. They talk about what a how he got hit in the groin by a puck, and then like they all they're like he was a game goal. He came back out and played through it, you know, like. But they're like, there's they didn't no. Have t- anybody else. There's, yeah, they didn't have anybody else. So if he you didn't better, do it, he didn't, Norm, didn't have a guy in Norm, goal. You can walk it off in the hallway. Yeah, they didn't have anybody I'm, else. I'm, so I'm, you can walk it, walk it off because you're coming back there in. They don't have anybody else, Norman. We need you. you I, know, I, like, I broke my dick coat. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> yeah, so anyways, rub some dirt and get back in there. So, anyways, so, so, right. so, anyways, so the Red Wings, this is the final little little bit here. All right. Is that game three? So the Red Wings win game three. They had in there, in the, I've got, there's the, the, the book number one has got a ton of, of, of great quotes. Because there was no animosity between the two teams. Sure. They both shook hands. They were all hugging there each other. There were other they battle royales. This, this was just they, hockey. Game recognized game. They, right. the, the Maroons recognized how great that the Red Wings had played and what a dogfight the two teams had had. For, I mean, they played the equivalent of four games in two games. Right, right. right. You know, so they were, you know, or, you know, or five games, including the third game. Can so you imagine, anyways, so the, They're going through the line. Good game. I'm tired. But good they were, game. but all I'm the tired. Maroons, swar- yeah, yeah, yeah. the Maroons swarmed Normie Smith. They just, oh, they all, they? oh nice. yeah, yeah. Nice. They, they showed him like there was the rivalry between the Blackhawks and Red Wings was totally different than the Maroons. The Maroons yeah, yeah. were, there was like two, two of the best teams in the league slugging it out. There was no really, there wasn't like the animosity. I, I didn't even see any fights. There was really no right. fights in this no, game. No, no, it was all pure hockey. Pure, exactly. Yeah. So there wasn't like the scrum hockey like they played. You know, sometimes it would, the Blackhawks, sometimes it would be scrum hockey and other times it would be clean sure. hockey because they were just trying to win the game. Right. But, um, but anyway, so the final quote I want to lead off or end with yeah. here is, again, another Bob Murphy quote. He's been getting quite a bit of uh, attention here. So this comes after – this, this comes at the end of uh, game three, and it's uh, March 30th, 1936, again, Detroit Times. Bob Murphy, about this – so they're, they're, the Red Wings are celebrating in the locker room. And so about this time, someone broke through the door with, a, with news. And broke through means, you know, not they say hit with an axe. They sure. just came in into the, yeah. room, okay? yeah, yeah. into the locker room. So about this time, someone broke through the door with news that the Olympics had defeated Syracuse to clinch the IHL semifinals. Nice. So at the same moment. Game's on. That the Red Wings had just won their semifinals, their minor league team. Moving up. They had also just swept their semifinals. Well, we can't can lose. Both we teams. can't let the little boys show. Both we can't teams let the little sisters show up. The big brother. brother show us up. Exactly. Yeah, 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 Minor yeah. and major league teams are now both On advancing to the, the championship to the finals of the, the respective. Spoiler alert! Spoiler! Yeah, we know. We've talked <laughs> yeah. about it because we've you know, already they, given it away. I know. Track. I know. Yeah. I know. They were out of town. They had to come back but in town, and they went to the final game for the minor league team, which is great. But the fact we're going to get to happening at the exact same time. Effing, effing love it. It's like it's like this symmetry, you yeah. know. I mean, the great like like just think about this for a quick second, all right? We the energy's got to be nuts. We man. just talk about how this season, which I think is this incredible season, it ends with this huge rivalry dogfight with the Blackhawks, and then the very first game they're playing against one of the best NHL teams in history. Like like you know they're playing against this incredible team, and the very first game 
is the longest game in NHL history. Like, how much do you and, want this championship? And they were the best team in history at that point in time. Exactly. They're one. Right. And, you know, Tommy Gorman. The credentials that this man has are that's that's why I give that's why I point to the like he goes. This is one of the best teams like in NHL history. And you might want to write that off and say, oh well, that's just a coach being. You know, being flattering about a yeah, team, yeah. whatever. But the, this is, but the, his credentials, the right. fact that he's already, I mean, at this point, I think he'd won four Stanley Cup championships already. And he's like, this is the best team I ever <laughs> built. You know, like, I mean, yeah. it's like, um, you know, I mean, like this is like this is the, like his his talent alone suggests that the team that he's also coaching is also probably pretty good what, too. And which speaks, and I and I'll share this, which speaks to Tommy Gorman because he built an incredible team, absolutely, to compete against the Red Wings team that was at the pinnacle of their talent. Yeah, this at is a point yeah. in time. All yeah, right, so they had to go through this incredible team. That's what I'm saying. And then like in the fact that the first game of the playoffs. Was the longest game in NHL history. Love it, and it's this story we're talking about. <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's the it's, most grind out of. Like, imagine if I went in there like movies don't write themselves. Game, yeah, like yeah, yeah, they do. Like you know, like yeah, like game number one. Yeah, they beat the Maroons. It was cool. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah. it was the longest game ever. Ever. Like, <laughs> nah, it was All right, guys, we got to hit it though. Yeah, yeah, um, just everybody who's been uh, following along the City of Champions, <laughs> thank you. Subscribe, follow, like, leave a comment. We appreciate you. Charles, I just, uh, just I love all. We the, love this the, stuff. This is the amazing. Language you Wait bring till we to get life. to the finals. We're about, we haven't even got to the Stanley uh, Cup finals. Wait Matt, till we get to the finals. Thanks we're for about, being we're coming here, up on the Cheers. We're all out. Four Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Keep your stick on the ice. Keep your stick on the ice, boys. Uh, yeah, there you go.